today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I was hoping to get to the end of the chapter, chapter 3, but we're going to have to see this one verse. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on this one verse. And so if we, don't, uh, if we don't make it to the end of the chapter, that's okay. We can, uh, we can continue next week. Let's go, Lord, in prayer and ask his blessing again on the services. Heavenly Father, again, we thank thee for this time together. And what a, what a blessed, blessed uh, privilege it is for we who are your people to gather together and to, to look at your scriptures, Lord, and, and to see you, Lord Jesus, all through the Old Testament and the New and how this book just testifies of thee. And uh, we marvel at your grace and mercy towards we who are sinners. Pray you be glorified and magnified today in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 18 to 22. The name of the message is the just one dying for the unjust. The just one dying for the unjust. And we'll see that in verse 18, but let's read the context of the verse. So we'll read from verses 18 to 22. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So let us again remember that this wonderful book's written to God's suffering saints. They're going through quite a bit, quite a few things, and they're being persecuted for their faith. Um, last week, we looked at verses 15 to 17 of this chapter, and we were exhorted as the body of Christ to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Always be ready. Always be ready to, to, to tell the great things that the Lord hath done for you, and that's all that means. Just tell, tell on people when, when they ask questions about who Christ is, when they ask questions about, about your faith in Christ. Just be ready to give an answer for the great things that he's done. He's, he's redeemed my soul. He's saved my soul. He saved me from all my sins. and I'm justified before God. It's not a hard thing to do. It really isn't, especially for, for we who are God's blood-bought people. And, and, and pray that the Lord will give you the words to speak when those opportunities and those doors open up for us. And our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we who are his blood-bought, born-again people, again, should always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us about our Savior and, and ask us about what he's done for us. And that's, that's really the, the harder thing of, of, of what we believe, isn't it? What Christ has done for us, our great substitute, dying in our place. And know this, beloved of God, if and when you're under persecution, and I say if and when because every believer goes through some form of persecution at various times of their lives. Just remember this, the Lord's ever watching over you. He's ever with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's, 
He's ordained this to occur. He's ordained this to occur. And he will deliver you. And, and, and I can look back in my life, and I know that you who are his blood-bought people, you can look back in your life and you can see times when you think, how, how did I make it through that? How did I do that? How? And a dear sister wrote me yesterday and said, how do, how do unsaved people go through this? How do they, how do they deal with things? Oh, Vicky and I have often talked about that. We just, I know for we who are, we who are God's blood-bought people, we who are the elect of God, he's ever watching us even before we're saved. And he carries us through the things, the various things in our lives. But have you ever wondered that? How do people go through the things that come up in life without Christ? Well, they turn to various things, don't they? Some turn to drugs, some turn to alcohol, some turn to all different things. Right? But we who are God's people, we turn to Christ, we look to him. Today we'll look at verse 18 and then we'll finish up this chapter. Now, I want us to think upon this. Peter, the apostle, is writing this letter to the saints who are scattered. And we know from chapter 1 in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I was looking these, these places up in my studies this week, and this is, this is in the area of what would be modern-day Turkey, modern-day Turkey, um, right above Syria. And the church in Cappadocia was started by, by those Jews who were present in the day of Pentecost. Do you know that the Cappadocian Jews were, were, were present at the day of Pentecost? Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A lot of commentators believe that, that uh, those Cappadocian Jews who were born again and trusted Christ became followers of the way, as it was called back then. It was called the way uh, very early on and, and took the message of Christ back to their homeland, perhaps spreading the word in their own synagogues. Look at Acts chapter 2. And forgive me if I mispronounce some of these names. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat, and it sat upon each of them, and they were, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we know that tongues in the book of Acts, is known language, is in the Greek. It's not some unknown language that no one can interpret. It's a known language. It's a known language. And we'll see that here in this text. And this is speaking of the apostles. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem to vote men out of every nation under heaven. So, so here, it was Pentecost. So, so the Jews, of course, assemble at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They come from various places and... And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There, right there, there's a verse for, if anyone says that tongues is an unknown language, you just take them right there. It's a known language. And even the Greek word is defined as known language. It's a known language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are, are these which speak Galileans? And how here we, every man in, their, in our own tongue, wherein we, we were born. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and 
the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia. Oh, there's the Cappadocians. In Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in all the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of wine. So with that, let's uh, consider verse 18, knowing that there were some from Cappadocia who were present on the day of Pentecost. And they may have been some who Peter was writing to who were born again by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 18. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, Peter the Apostle's writing this wonderful book. In the memory of his Lord's passion, our Lord's passion, but his personal Lord's passion too, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ must have been particularly precious to him. Particularly precious to him because when he thought of the Lord's death, he would be reminded of the wonderful forgiveness that he had in Christ. Remember, he denied the Lord three times. So when, when he thought about the Lord's death, oh, what forgiveness he would think of. When we think of the Lord's death, oh, what forgiveness we think of. All my sins are forgiven. So the gospel for Peter was precious. And as he pondered God's grace to him in Christ and the pardoning favor that he had received in and through Christ, after denying him three times, oh, oh my, his soul would be lifted so high. Oh, he'd be rejoicing, wouldn't he? He knew firsthand that the Lord had suffered for his sins. So do we, don't we? Who are his blood-bought people. But he knew, didn't he? He knew the great forgiveness he had received. He knew the Lord had suffered for the sins of of all the elect. And, and this would be on his mind as he wrote these words here. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Now remember, he, he, he personally knew the Lord. We look to him, don't we? But he saw him. He, he knew him. He saw the great miracles that the Lord had done. Again, he had tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, we haven't seen the Lord, but we believe in him. But we have tasted that the Lord is gracious too. But, but keep this in mind. I think it's important for us to keep those things in mind. That, that, that he personally saw the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's writing this. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. And so when he's writing this, he knows that he is the unjust. He's part of that number. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So consider what we have set here before us in this verse. We see the fact of Christ suffering for his people. The fact of it. The fact of it. For Christ also hath once suffered for, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The fact 
of the suffering of Christ is right here before us. Christ died for his people, and, and in dying, he suffered in their place. He suffered in their place as their substitute on Calvary's cross. And we know that Christ's death and suffering was vicarious, which means that he, the innocent one, died on behalf of the guilty. That's called vicarious suffering. And we see that pictured in the book of Leviticus. Turn, if you would, to Leviticus chapter Leviticus chapter 16. We have such a clear picture. Such a clear picture. In Leviticus 16, we're starting verse 5. And oh, what a, what a clear picture we see of the innocent dying for the guilty. Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering... Verse 11, which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two, two kids of the goats for a sin offering. One ram and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullocks of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. So both these goats, now, now the, Aaron has no idea which one's going to be the scapegoat and which one's going to be the offering. He has no idea. So therefore, both of these lambs must be absolutely perfect and spotless because they picture Christ, beloved. They picture Christ dying in our place, the spotless Lamb of God. And they picture Christ as our scapegoat, carrying the sins of our, our sins of the perfect spotless Lamb of God. So they both have to be spotless. They both have to be perfect. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the goats, one lot for the Lord, Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. What a picture of Christ. Now remember too, Christ is, Christ is the priest. Christ is the offering. Christ is the scapegoat. He's the altar. He's, he's so pictured. He's so pictured here. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him. And, and so let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. What a picture of an innocent one dying for the guilty. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he not die. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring the blood within the veil and do that with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat again, the innocent dying for the guilty. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression. 
in all their un, in, in all their sins, and and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of the uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. Only the high priest entered in. Only the high priest. Christ is our high priest. He did all the work. beloved. He did it all. He did it all. And he shall go out in the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take the, the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it in the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgression and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send them away by the hand of a fit man, that's also Christ, into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited. They're gone. They're gone. What a picture of what Christ has done for us, beloved. And he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. So we see the substance of that which is pictured in the Day of Atonement, right? We see the substance. Remember the Day of Atonement is a picture and a shadow. But we see the substance right here in our text. For Christ hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. There's the substance. The Old Testament was but a type, picture, and a shadow. And here's the substance right here. Right here, beloved. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. The sufferer, for our sins, for the sins of God's elect was the righteous one. The righteous one. The Lord Jesus Christ. He was blameless in character, upright in conduct, perfect in every way, absolutely sinless. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And yet he suffered, the scriptures declare. He suffered. The just one for the unjust. The sinless one. Dying for sinners. He who knew no sin suffered for sinners. And take note that he did it once. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 if you would. He did it once. This ties in with Romans chapter 6. Verses 9 to 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead <coughs> dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, you who believe, you who are born again, you who are his blood-washed people, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go back to our text again. It says here, For Christ also hath once suffered... 
And this he did for sins, the just, for the unjust. Now for the unrighteous to suffer, it'd be right, wouldn't it? Right? For the unjust, which is us, for us to suffer, it'd be right, wouldn't it? We would just be getting that which we deserved. We would be getting that which we have earned. Right? Because what the scripture declared to us, very plainly, the wages, the payment of sins, is death. So we who are the unjust spoken in the text, if we, if, if we were punished for our sins, we would get, be getting what we justly earned and what we justly deserved. If, if, if we know the Lord, we know that to be true. Religious people say, oh my, that's not me. Well, yeah, because you're not saved. You don't know what Christ has done for you. Oh my, the believer says, yeah, that's me. If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. Oh. We deserve eternal damnation for our sins. But we who are the... Lord's people, we know that the just one, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one, has died for the unjust. That's what the scriptures right here declare. We who are the unjust, we who are, everything we do is tainted with sin. Whether it be our thoughts or our actions, we are unjust. Unprofitable servants, the scriptures say, right? Oh my. Sinners to the core. And think of the agony and death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Think of what he suffered. The wrath of God for my sins and if you're a believer for your sins, fully poured out upon him. And everything that I deserved fell upon him. The agony and death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And we see the undeserved sufferings of the Holy One. We see the just one dying for the sins of the unjust. Christ, the holy and just one, he, is whole, he who is holy in nature, because remember, he's God incarnate in the flesh. Brother Matt and I read a really good book on that where you cannot divide, you know, there, he's the God-man. <laughs> you can't separate his humanity from his divinity. He's, he's the God-man. He's... He's, he's both God and man. The Holy One. Holy in His nature. Righteous in His life. And actions, all which were, all His actions entirely conformable to the righteous law of God. Entirely. Nothing left out. We, we can't even, we, we can't even live for one of His Laws. And he 
He entirely, perfectly lived the perfect life. Entirely conformable to all that God demanded. He was upright and faithful in all things. He's God's righteous servant. And it is he who suffered for the unjust. It is he who suffered for sinners. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's the church. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in heaven's salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass in the fall, the colt of the of the the fall of an ass. He, but listen to this. He's just in heaven's salvation, lowly. All oh, the condescension of the great King of Kings and Lord. And note, he only suffered by unjust men. He suffered by unjust men and, and, and what they did to him. Think about the Jews, Pilate and the Roman soldiers. But marvel in, in this wonderful scripture, Christ died in the Roman place of unjust men. He not only suffered under unjust men, but he, he died in the Roman place of unjust men which is we, his people. Unjust men and women. Sinners. Ungodly sinners. And think upon this. One commentator said this, and it just, boy, it just got me right between the eyes. We who were destitute of righteousness. Destitute of Absolutely full of unrighteousness. And it is for those whom Christ died. His chosen people. The elect of God. We who are born into this world dead in trespasses and sins. Unjust. Is this not mercy without bounds, beloved? You can't plumb this, can you? God is holy, righteous, and just. And he will in no way, and under no circumstance, clear the guilty. His law must be honored. It must be. He can't wink at our sins. He can't. His justice must be satisfied. We would we would call a just uh, we would call a judge who just winked at people's sins and said, "Well, I know you did that evil, or you maybe somebody might have killed someone, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pass it by you all and go on." For we would call that judge an unjust judge, wouldn't we? Because he didn't uphold the law. God's a just judge. He's a just judge. His justice must be satisfied. And if God chooses to justify and forgive us, he must do it in a way consistent with his holiness and his righteousness. He must. And this is why Christ came. This is why Christ came. Why he obeyed the law in the flesh. 
why he died on the cross, that God might be just, holy, and righteous in, in this magnificent display of love and mercy towards his chosen blood-bought people. That God might be just and holy and righteous. So the just one dies in the place of the unjust ones. And let us think upon this, you and I who are the redeemed of the Lord. He did this willingly. He willingly did this. Why? That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. It was impossible for us in our natural state to come to God. We're separated from God by our sins, aren't we? Scripture says there's none that seeketh after God. There's a problem there then, isn't there? There's none righteous. Well, there's a problem because in order to be in God's presence, you've got to be made righteous. You've got to be sinless. And all we are is sin. See, this is the thing that mankind just casts aside. They're so busy thinking that they're self-righteous. Pride. Oh my. Self-righteousness is a killer. Christ, the just, holy, and sinless Son of God, he was despised and hated of men while he was here on this earth. The religious who's who of, this, of, of the Jewish world hated him. They hated him with a passion. But think upon this. And, and I can look back before I was saved and to my shame, I can know that I hated him. And if I didn't verbally say it, my actions spoke it. My words did too, unfortunately. Now the tongue that once cursed the Lord praises the Lord. That's a miracle of grace. Brother Newell, we've talked about that many times. That's a miracle of grace. Absolute miracle. He suffered for the sins of his people. Why? That he might bring us to God. Look at our text. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Quickened by the Spirit. Christ, the just, holy, and sinless Son of God. The just one. Dies in the place of the unjust that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us nigh to God. We who were far off, remember Ephesians tells us that? We were far off. Brother Matt, we've talked about that. We were far off. Man. 
Mm. Mm. Oh, my. But he's bought us nigh. Now we stand in peace and reconciliation in Christ Jesus our Lord. And through him, we have freedom of access now. Boldness with God before the throne of God only through Christ and only through his precious blood. Through his great sin atoning sacrifices, our substitute. When he offered himself up as a sacrifice acceptable unto God, the just one, offering himself up for the unjust. For his chosen people. And he presents his bride, his blood-washed bride, his redeemed people before God, unblameable and unreprovable because they're clothed in his perfect, spotless righteousness. And this is why he came, beloved. He came to save us from our sins. The just one left the glories and splendors of heaven to die in the place of the unjust. It, it's something that we would not even think of. It, it truly magnifies God's grace and mercy. Again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. What king would die for one of his lowly servants? My king died for me. That's what every one of us can say, isn't it? My king died for me who is an unprofitable servant. My king did that. Oh, my. He came here to save his people from their, their sins and, and to bring us unto God that we might be in the presence of, of he who is the captain of our salvation. That we might be in glory forever with him. And notice he was unconquered in his sufferings, beloved. Notice he died, but death could not hold him. He was quickened by the Spirit. Quickened by the Spirit. And note here in this beautiful scripture before us, there can be but little doubt that, that it is Christ personally considered who has spoken of being put to death in the flesh. That is his human nature and quickened by the Spirit. That's his divine nature. John Gill brings forth that Christ was raised from the dead by his divine nature, the spirit of holiness, the eternal spirit by which he offered himself and by virtue of, of which he, as he had power to lay down his life, and we know he did, right? He had the power to lay down his life, so had he the power to take it up again. He has all power, beloved. And when he, when he was also justified in the spirit and all the elect in him. My. So think upon this, beloved of God. 
The enemy of God's people can do no more than kill the body of a believer. They cannot reach the soul. Cannot reach the soul. Gil brings this forth. As Christ is quickened and raised from the dead, so all his elect are quickened together and raised with him representatively and shall by virtue of his resurrection be raised personally and live also, which is no inconsiderable argument to suffer afflictions patiently. So for us, we should just suffer afflictions patiently because our Lord suffered in our place, which is the design of this instance and the example of the sufferings, death, and resurrection of Christ. A couple of quick things here. Think upon this. We'll close with this. His mission was one of suffering. He came here to suffer. The just one for the unjust. His mission was one of innocent suffering. He's the just one, the righteous one. His mission was one of vicarious suffering. He died for the unjust, the unrighteous sinners, his elect. And his mission was one that was unconquered or unconquerable by all the suffering that he went through, being put to death in the flesh, yet he was quickened by the Spirit. Our Savior is victorious. Praise God. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your goodness and mercy and grace. Oh, Lord, we pray you be with us for the rest of the services. And the Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified and magnified and lifted high and mighty in that, that we would draw comfort as your people from the gospel of thy salvation. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.